Welcome to Accent of Woman. I'm Ayan Shirwa. That beautiful chant you just heard was by Mandy Nicholson. Mandy is from the Wurundjeri people. The song, Lulung Nanyan, means everyone's voice. Now that the Invasion Day rally is over, how do we allies provide support that is meaningful but also wanted? On the 22nd of January, warriors of the Aboriginal resistance held a fundraiser as part of their Seven Days of Resistance campaign. The fundraiser, Decolonising Solidarity, What Can We Do?, was a panel discussion about how to be better allies. This recording is only of the Q&A segment. The rest of the episode will air via WARS platform. The panellists included Caroline Martin, Crystal McKinnon, Claire Land, Idil Ali and Sharon Dev Singh. Mariki Ones from last week's episode of Accent is the events facilitator. The Q&A begins with a question from the audience about what decolonisation in practice looks like. The whole country's colonised. Yeah. We are colonising all the time, so that, that's the contradiction of wanting to be a supporter but being at the same time just even existing is part of the problem. So it's a pretty big contradiction um, and it, when you're in a scene of wanting to be a supporter then it's pretty clear that that contradiction is there all the time I and mean, you know there's of course there's lovely relationships between people is you know but um you know it's brought into pretty sharp relief in the in that scene and you know it's, it's not just a scene it's it's life and it's it's a really important reality but um what does decolonisation mean? I guess you can imagine into it in regards to well, what's colonisation and then what's the opposite. And um, and there's different types of colonies, but Australia is a, a settler one where um, white people came to stay and staying meant getting rid of um, Aboriginal people. So um, decolonisation, you know, just in essence, is about the return of land and power. Um, and... But there's, there's, you know, Aboriginal people would, would have, would, would be better to articulate what, what that would be and what that vision is. Yeah. Oh God, I can't even imagine it. Oh, you know what? The first thing I would want is for actual acknowledgement of my ancestors. That, I mean, that's just, that's the big one for me. I mean, obviously it's, it's much, much more than that. I'm actually, my family's in the Supreme Court and the Federal Court right at this moment fighting um, the state government and, and also um, uh, members of my community. Uh, with We've not got the resources, but the state is actually throwing everything at us to make sure that we actually don't win. We've been in a 20-year battle um, that hopefully we'll, we'll know one way or the other, but the only way that we've actually been trying to get justice is actually to go through the white court system because um, that's the only justice we actually have. So it'll be, be interesting. It's actually a really... I get your question. I totally, totally get your question. I was asked to do a... Um, a talk in Sydney, uh, not last year, the year before, called Realigning the Colonial Agenda in Mew. Ah, shut <laughs> up. And I was like, what? Anyway, what? Anyway, <laughs> I just said that twice. The, it was actually, 
in a museum. And I was thinking, fuck, do I really want to go back into a museum right now? And then I thought, no, this is my opportunity to actually um, talk about the realities of my experience, which weren't always good, but at the end of the day, I actually made it, made it, made a solid plan, and and what was it? Twelve years later, well, ten years later, I actually got the fruition of that plan happening. But it, God, it was a fight. Anyway, the I the the reason I understand that is because I actually had to look deeply at it too. And I've worked in institutions. Now I made a decision when I was. Really early, really early, like really young. Um, over 30 years ago now, I was a vice president of Aboriginal organisation when I was 19 and a chairperson of AACG when I was 17. And I could actually see how difficult it was for our community to actually engage with government and how government actually funds our communities and continues to do the, the rule and divide. Um, a very, very well colonised um, way of working. They've just got better at it. The, the, because there's been no intervention is one thing. They need an intervention. Anyway, what I was actually going to say is that I, wore, I went into the state government and worked in the state government because I actually wanted to be someone that could actually make the change. What I have done and what made me actually have to really think about the whole idea of realigning a colonial agenda is actually get to a point where I went, oh, I've never worked in that way. For 30 years I've never worked in a way where I actually focus my efforts on the colonisers. All of my efforts have been from my lived experience of being strong in my identity. Which is actually a very, very different way of being, but, um, but it's actually where my strength comes from and, and why I've been able to survive for as long as I had in, a, in the system. I learnt the system, I knew how to work the system, I played the system, all to the benefit of my community and of course me, but, but to the benefit of my community and have actually been quite successful. Um, Cost, it's cost me personally, but at the same time it's not because I've actually looked through the eyes of the coloniser or I've actually felt like the person that's been oppressed by them. I've actually just gone in with my own strength. So I actually understand that people don't look in, a, in, in the way of coloniser and, and, and colonised. So, and it feels like for me, growing up and getting ask that question, it feels like the whole idea that's been put out into the public realm now more than anything um, other than people like Foley and, and Robbie Thorpe is that there's a whole new young generation that are actually using those, word, those terms and so, so that's not, those, they are not terms that I actually grew up with and I think that Whitefellas... I remember the Immigration Museum was actually doing an exhibition on identity and they came and asked me what they could include from um, a First Nations perspective. And I said, in the Immigration Museum? 
and and they actually believed that our story was a part of their story, but they actually didn't see themselves in the story. Because I, I said, well, the only thing that we can actually do is probably provide you a welcome to country. Um, but the other thing was um, I actually then said to the curators who were all white of the Immigration Museum and, and the Aboriginal Cultural Centre was, well, are you actually putting the English in the exhibition? And they were actually horrified. So white people in this country actually don't see themselves as visitors. They were infuriated with me. I got into, they tried to get me into a lot of trouble, but they couldn't because that is the reality. But this is not that long ago. So people, so, so white followers in this country don't see themselves as immigrants. So how are they ever going to see themselves as colonisers? So. That, you, you're not there? Yeah. I just want to say a couple, I'll be quick. Um, okay. Um, I, no, no, I was just going to say it's really important, I think, um, that if you're involving yourself in any kinds of movements that they are centering Indigenous sovereignty because otherwise they are recolonising or continuing to colonise, you know, that should be at the centre, you know, and that should be what you're thinking about if you're involved in um, certain movements or um, art exhibit, you know, like every, everything you do, I think. Um, and I think it's important um, to listen to the community on whose country you make your home. Um, and, you know, if you're living on Gunai Kurnai country down there, what, they, what their priorities are and their struggles and their fights are what that local community or living on country um, uh, prioritises their needs may be different to what's happening three hours away. But I think that it's important to prioritise what they're saying they need down there um, or wherever it is that you're, that you're living. Um, and also that it's also irritates the shit out of me when people say that they've gotten permission from Auntie Betty to do Ooh. something or whatever it is or Uncle Ian or whatever. Like one person, you don't get approval or rights to do things, rights to speak, rights to do anything from one person and that's not the way Aboriginal community works and if someone's telling you that you can do certain things or act in certain ways and it's just the one, it's just, it's just not true and I tell you right now, you're pissing off every Aboriginal person in the room when you do that um, and, you know, your, your accountabilities, responsibilities in what you're doing comes from multiple places and you should be looking to multiple Aboriginal people who, you know, whose land it is, you know, to figure out what you should be doing and how you should be acting. And it's, and it's, yeah, no. And it's also up to us. Look at me. It's also up to us. I just needed that. But it's absolutely also up to us to identify who our elders are. What's, what's been happening a lot is um, people, even, even people from inner state that actually have probably got no connection to their own people in their own country, actually have come and it's like cherry picking. So they cherry pick who they actually identify as elders in our community to pit us against each other. So there's actually... And they are more colonised than the colonisers. That's, that's why I, the people that upset me the most are blackfellas that actually do it, honestly. I mean, I can live... Well, 
It's just like, shut up, go away, go and live on your own country. But the reality is, well, it's true, but the reality is those people have probably never ever lived on their own country, have never been connected to their own country, and have learned to, provo- to, to um, create an identity here that if they actually went and lived on their own country, they probably wouldn't even be accepted. And so what, and and because they're not being accepted, no, 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 but because they're not being accepted here, they do, they do the cherry picking. I'm actually working with a whole lot of people now that I actually, I'm really struggling to, because they're not respectful of my mother, they're not respectful of the elders within the Kulin Nations. Um... But I actually can, I, I, you know, come to Yerimboy, actually. Come to Yerimboy and celebrate the First Peoples of this country. But also, I would really encourage you to come to something that is called the Critical Conversations. Um, because these are really important conversations to, for us to have, but also an opportunity for you to actually know that, you know, Yeah, we're, we're affected by everyone. Infected, affected by everyone. And I, and I will actually say again, if you don't see yourself as an immigrant, how can you see yourself as a coloniser? The other thing that I just quickly will, would like to say is that, you know, when people get to know us, like really know us, when they take the time to know us, to know our history, but to know us personally, You know what I know about my people? We are incredibly generous. We are incredibly, incredibly generous. We are so generous that we actually tell you our whole life story, but we actually go right back to our ancestors. For you to actually understand our connection to our country, I would actually encourage you to go and do your own research about yourself. When you can actually identify from the country that you live in the way that we do, then you will actually understand what colonisation is and you'll actually also understand what immigration is. And imagine how powerful you'll be. You wouldn't just be walking around in white privilege. You'll actually be walking around with a story that you're actually proud of and want to share. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. If you'd like to know more about war and their upcoming events, go to their website www.invasionday.org. We now return to Claire Land, author of Decolonizing Solidarity, as she explains what accountability means to her. Could I just add to that discussion yeah. about accountability? Because yeah, um, um, just a couple of other thoughts from my experience um, is that if you're running around trying to check whether what you're doing is okay, that might be an indication that you're doing something you haven't been asked to do. So it might, it, that in itself, if you're trying to do something that requires you to run around checking, then it's probably, the, it's probably sort of coming at something from the wrong direction. Um, not always, but, you know, something to think about. Um, also, I found a couple of times that, um, like once when I was unemployed and like really needed a job, I was tempted to apply for a job in the Aboriginal industry. And um, I was just like, so I rang a friend and said, look, would it be dodgy for me to apply for this? And 
the friend felt sorry for me, an Aboriginal friend felt sorry for me, essentially, I worked out later, felt sorry for me, and sort of said it's okay because they didn't want me to be upset because they kind of liked me, essentially. <laughs> so it was sort of like putting Not someone in a position... <laughs> but putting an Aboriginal person in a position of having to tell you whether or not something's okay actually isn't always going to be an easy process for them, especially if they actually are a friend. That's even harder maybe, maybe not, but it could be. Um, so, I, so then you're in a bit of a situation where what do you do? So I've got a couple of non-white friends not, who, are, who I feel are like got a really sharp pencil on these issues and I will go to, to them to test my ideas or if they're really, a couple of people are really thoughtful about the workings of racism, I'll like see them regularly because they will challenge me and it, you know, if I learn something. So I guess in a way trying to... That said, you can't trust white people to ever really know, you know, all the workings of racism, but, you know, maybe, it, maybe it, it's a way of removing that burden from, you know, asking Aboriginal people. I'd also say that it shows... It shows that you don't believe that there's Aboriginal people who can do it. Because um, I find that like whenever something's happening in our community, other people will try to take admin positions and they, they say it's to take the weight off of our communities, but often it's so that they can hold power and continue to be part of the process and continue to be the people who do um, you know, the behind-the-scenes things so that we never learn how to do it, so we continue to have to ask them. Um, I think that if you, if you are part of a process and somebody asks you, then teach that knowledge to somebody who's in the community so that they don't need to ask you again. Um, yeah, like I, th I think oftentimes y you'd be a hindrance as part of like inner processes um, because people can't have the same conversations and the same um, around planning, I guess. Because um, we rarely get a, like in my community, we rarely get a chance to talk amongst us about what we need before other people want to jump on it and be part of it, you know? Like we'll ask you once we're done figuring out the inner ins and outs. Um, but I would say that if, if you come up with this brilliant idea, what you think is a brilliant idea, and you really want to do it, ask yourself, like, have Aboriginal people, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, have they already done it? Are they already doing it? Maybe you can give funds so that they're not dealing with all these other things that they need to do for money so that they can have the free will to actually do it, you know? I just quickly wanted to say two things. One is about uh, um, the intensity of settler and occupier knowledge about how racism operates in this country. And in, in, in this country, there is no space and there has never been a space of not knowing precisely the violence and the terms of occupation. There is no space to say, why weren't we told? Why didn't we learn it? Um, I'm not aware what's happening in this country, you know, that, that, you know um, because those suggestions, those assertions are assertions about the power of denial in this country and of active subscribing to the power and the force of denial in this country and the denial of sovereignty. So the, the, other, the other thing is also around understanding the rules of the rules and demands of occupation and settlement. And if you are to do the work of uh, rupturing and divesting our individual and collective investments in continuing occupation and settlement, um, 
you know, what, what does that look like? And I think um, this goes to the question of what work as occupiers, immigrant occupiers or white settlers do we do rather than asking Aboriginal people to do uh, that work for us, you know, mm. and using Aboriginal people as the um, exclusive touchstone for um, how do we learn about these things, how do we know, um, you know, asking them to do all the fucking work, really, you know, as though, um, you know, people have spare time and energy. And I think that there are very simple things that flow from the 26th of January. If you own property, if you have inheritance from the theft of property, then you need to um, divest from that property, divest from those investments, and and reroute that money and those resources in their entirety to mobs who are practicing self-determination work, which which goes from the whole spectrum from land defence work, anti-mining work cultural work, language work, um, abolitionist work, um, dealing with ecocide, femicide, genocide, all of that work, which is anti-white supremacist and anti-occupation and abolitionist work, which began on the 26th of January, you know, requires a, a really profound and radical resourcing um, in order to be, to be more and more effective. You know, and in our histories and in our presence, we hold the, the loot of dispossession and occupation. So what are we going to do about that in the next year, between this invasion day and the next invasion day? In the context where five young women and girls have died in the first 15 days of this country. You know, in, in the context that the forces of of occupation and colonisation are intensifying. You know, that places like Manus and Nauru, you know, do not exist outside of a colonial framework, do not exist out of um, anti-Aboriginal carceral frameworks. You know, Manus Island and, and, and Nauru Island prison camps could not exist if Palm Island camp didn't exist. You know, and, and also to think very concretely, you know, and look at that photo of Anitanya Day and say, if I was on that train carriage when it came through really progressive Castle Maine and I saw, you know, V-line officers and police officers waking and taking a sleeping black woman off a train, what would you do to stop that woman being taken away and potentially killed within minutes? That's the type of, I think, really concrete thinking and preparedness and commitment and work that is really important to think about in the context of um, answering that question, what does solidarity mean, what does decolonisation mean, and also understanding the history and the continuum of resistance and asking yourself what will I and or we um, role will play in, in those continuing histories um, of, of resistance. Thank you all. I really appreciate your comments on the last question. Um, and I think that we'll wrap it up there. But I just wanted to say that, you know, I think it's also really important to understand the difference between progressive and resistance and decolonisation. Because, you know, progressive actions 
um, need the current institutions and settler colonialism to remain in order for it to exist. So um, think about if you're giving money to an organisation that just has black faces on their website but are just run entirely by NGOs that don't speak to Aboriginal people at all um, and just taking resources. I think that's a really important thing to differentiate. Um, and don't co-opt the work that grassroots movements uh, and grassroots community are doing and don't tone us just to suit your white um, settler colonial larger demographics. Like, if we say something, that's exactly what we meant. We didn't sound just harsh because we're angry. We meant that. So, you know, there are organisations that want to tone down the language that we use on Invasion Day, but that's exactly what we deal with every single day. And, it, you know, if it hurts your fragility, that's our life of violence. So don't tone police our movements to suit your agenda. Um, anyway, I think... Yeah... The T-shirt's up the back. Um, the, t the money's going to go to uh, Annie Tanya Day's campaign, the campaign to um, abolish public drunkenness. Um, so go and buy a T-shirt. You can donate more money if you want, and look out for the um, look out for the the petition. Um, I've got another. Go to our um, invasionday.org website for more information on some of the things that we're doing this week and you can educate yourself on some of the writings that Aboriginal people have done on Invasion Day. We, you know, a lot of Aboriginal people have written about this. You, sh you should know enough by now. Um, and if you don't, you can in we we've made a resource where you can do the research. Um, and I just want to thank... You want to say something to me? Yeah, invasionday.org. <laughs> you got to research what the actual dress is yourself. <laughs> now, um, and come to Invasion Day um, on the 26th of January. Um, the, the theme is Abolish, Austra Abolish Australia Day. Um, and, you know, that's, that's exactly where we stand. Uh, with, you know, Abolish Australia is decolonisation. So you should be thinking around that and not centering yourself when you show up. Um, but, yeah, it should be a really good day and we're hoping to get a good crowd. I just want to thank all the panellists and sharing your thoughts um, and the ways that you show solidarity and the way that you receive solidarity um, in our community and uh, on this country. Um, you know, and it's hard to say that we're thankful to walk it when there was no consent given for us to walk it. You know, I think we have to think about that as well. Oh, and there's, there's, there's magazines down here. Are they for sale or are they...? So there's a zine there um, and there's some resources here that you can take photos of and do more research on how you can become, you know, get, read, get better at decolonising solidarity. Um, so thank you very much and I, yeah, I guess that's it. We'll, we'll close for today. Thank you very much, everyone. That was Mariki Onis ending on ways we can support grassroots organising. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ayan Shirwa.